This week's episode is brought to you by the Talk Buster podcast. Every episode, Chris Chipman and a guest reminisce of their time working for Blockbuster. Now, even if you've never worked for a Blockbuster, I guarantee you'll find the stories both hilarious and relatable. One of my personal favorite stories was when he had a guest retelling his time of working at a porn shop the day before Christmas when they were just packed to the gills. So, listen to the Talk Buster podcast on all your favorite platforms today. Welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Orc, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? It is going alright. I, uh, you know, I worked from home this week, so I just worked for the day. Uh, after work, I managed to finish putting together my Death Dread model, which is like an Orc Dreadnought, which is awesome, because I'm actually into... Uh, Warhammer minis at this point because <laughs> it's exciting and Ulrich I know is excited for me. Um, I'm not taking care of Buddy today. Uh, Ma's dog who's sick. She took him back. It, anyway, and uh, and Woundbog brought me tacos and burritos. He's he's not officially a guest today, but he's here behind me, so he may jump in there now and then. I'll be in the background lurking. <laughs> How are you? It's uh, it's still 2020. I mean. Yeah, we're not going to talk about all the bad shit, but Games Workshop just announced they're raising their prices again. Uh, so, cherry on the Sunday. I will get Gaskool eventually, but I hope it doesn't hurt too Gaz much. Gaskool is probably going to be fine. They're talking about, hey, here's a bunch of older models we didn't update the last time we updated three months ago. Well, yeah, Woundvog wants to get started with uh, with some Space Marines. He's in the Salamanders. He's been trying to find some Intercessors and Reavers, but they're not in the shop here, so... Anyway. Well, they're fine. It's going to be the old, it's going to be the chaplains and uh, uh, land raiders and the older, cooler stuff that they would well, actually anyway, reasonably price. But we're getting off. This could easily be a Warhammer yeah. episode, but we're not doing that right now. <laughs> no, nothing is going to turn into it just bitching about 2020. But no, let's, let's talk about something that we like to talk about the people that give us money so that we can come on here and bitch because they like us. They are our patrons. They are Pam Galley, Marky, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Reed D, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vahey, Just Nope, no, Vey. This Vey, I'm going to add the minutes later, Brendan Agnew, and John Venables. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, head on over to patreon.com forward slash geekswishfields. For only 25 cents an episode, you get access to all our episodes early, bonus content such as movie reviews, book clubs, whatever other ramblings we throw together. And best of all, you get to make sure we do this, get to do this week to week. This week we have a special episode, so I'll let our guest introduce himself. Hey guys, um, I'm one of the people on that patron list. Woohoo! Um, I, I love Geeks with Shields. Uh, this is Chris Chipman, a.k.a. The Chippa, from over at The Chippa Made This Podcast. Um, f- big friends of this show. Uh, I do every... A geek with Shield. We've made you a I, show. Yes, about, so. that's right. That's right, yes. Um, and I'm I'm honored. Um, I actually got to be Axel for a couple of episodes, uh, for a couple bucklers recently, so that was fun. Um but Noah, I, I make too many podcasts. Um, I do the uh, Creating Geeks podcast, Talkbuster, Shooting the Shit with Chippa, and the Chipman Brothers Tangent. I also do Hopped Ones, which is my take on the Spicy Wing Challenge show, Hot Ones, um, which hopefully when we get through this quarantine, I'll be able to record more episodes of. Um, I also do Just Chip and... Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt your thing. Just like you know, if I'm ever on that show, you got to swap out... Uh, 
beers for like for like shots for me because if i drink i'm more like a, a why liquor. don't we just do that dude we, we'll do a remote one uh, just tell me what to buy we'll, we'll do this awesome we'll get you know like some just fine whiskey but uh i'm kind of into this now anyway we'll talk later <laughs> yes anyway and uh um i also do chip in the third person which is a, a video log um where i kind of fill in you know, uh, if I could do a podcast today, I would, but I kind of just fill in random thoughts and things that I've heard or <clears throat> updates on things that I've talked about with you guys a lot of the time since we're in that Warhammer book club. And um, I just released today when we're recording this, uh, my first and what I'm calling virtual bar band, where I decided that, hey, I like to sing. Maybe I can do a collaborative singing thing with a band and found a band I've had on my show. And uh, they're from Ireland and we remotely recorded a song. And I think it sounds kind of awesome. So that could be something new that I'm going to do as well. Because, you know, senior engineer, master's degree, wife, two kids. Why not do all this other crap too? Man, the creative output you have is is inspiring, I gotta say. <laughs> well, as I've told you guys before, it, listening to your show has been a lot of an inspiration too. And I told you when I came on yours the first time, I felt like you had been doing it a lot longer. It, it just There's a rapport that you two have that reminds me of what I have with my brother and what I bring to my show. And so I feel like, if anything, we're building each other up together. So this is awesome. No, I'll take it. I like that. Build each other up. All right. <laughs> so so yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. So or, what are we talking about today? Well, this is kind of an interesting one, because we're doing a Pillars of Geekdom, and I'll let Axel explain what that is here in a second. But when we first came up with this idea, Chris was supposed to be our first guest for this new show format. And then for whatever reason, it didn't work out. So this one has been sitting in the uh, Google Doc, waiting for him to come back around, and we finally have him here to do it with us. Before we get to that, I'm going to have Chris explain, or sorry, Axel explain what a Pillars of Geekdom episode is for our new listeners. <clears throat> and if you're an old listener, bear with me. I know I got to explain this every time, but so Pillars of Geekdom comes originally from something I, I thought of a number of years back. I don't know how long ago, but I, I had this idea of foundational fandom. And at first when I said that, I meant it, you know, by the literal kind of definition of foundation and that it has multiple definitions. But the more we talked about it, the more it became this kind of metaphor for a house that your fandom, your geekdom is the house in which you live or the building in which you live. And a foundational fandom are the ones that you got into like very young that then affected the things you got into afterwards. Like your foundational fandoms don't change, but your pillars can change. A pillar of geekdom is something um, that you are like still currently into that it, it helps hold up the entire building. That is your fandom. It can be a foundation as well. I mean, literally you can have your foundation underneath the pillar. That's a thing. But the point is that a pillar of geekdom is a specific geekdom around which the rest of your fandom, at least a, a portion of it is centered. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. So whenever we bring on guests and do this, it's about their pillars of geekdom. Thus, they get to decide or choose uh, the specific topic we're talking about. So, Chris, tell us about your pillar of fandom. Or at least start us with what is it? <laughs> yes. So mine is um, is the Muppets. And that, that doesn't just stick to the main Muppets, but the overarching theme will be, you know, the, the ones we know of, the Gonzo, Kermit, Miss Piggy, Scooter, Skeeter, Rolf. Um, you can keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, but <laughs> what was that? Swedish chef. Yeah, Swedish chef. But um, it, it also uh, delves into um, Jim Henson as a whole because he 
he seemed to touch everything that was important to me from, I, I have a pretty long stemming photographic memory. I'm able to have conversations with my mother about stuff that happened before I could speak. And it weirds her out. Um, remember, uh, I got into Jim Henson with the Muppet Babies and the uh, original Muppet Babies TV show, I think either started the year before or the year I was born um, in 1984. Um, and so I remember watching that, you know, live, right? Or at least um, after it was on in syndication for a bit. And I'll, I'll get into that because it all kind of spawns from that show even though the Muppets started long before that and have continued on till today, long after that. But that show kind of not just being the Muppets, but painted my entire viewpoint of what I was into at the time. It, it brought Steven Spielberg movies, classic films. Um, and then the movies that Henson and Frank Oz and his collaboratives were making at the time also painted probably the good first 10 to 15 years of my life as a geek and reached their way out. And um, so this is a this is a very important topic to me. And it also involves, um, you know, some sadness. Uh, you know, I was alive and very cognizant of Jim Henson passing away um, in 1990 and the shift or 1991. It was either 90 or 91. I got to look on my notes here again because I always get that wrong. I think it was 90. Um, and uh, that, you know, I hadn't had any relatives or anyone close die in those first six years of my life. So that one, hearing that from my parents, it 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 makes me just as sad as thinking of a parent or a family member because it was that it, it's like, well, d does all this stuff I love not going to be there anymore? Like what happens? Do you know what I mean? It's like this this person meant something to me. Their output meant something to me. And so um just thinking through it, that's kind of the the, the top level of, of what I'm here to talk about today. Well, okay. I don't know I don't know too much about Jim Henson as a person, but I have heard him in conversational company with uh, with Fred Rogers and and yes. uh, and Bob Ross. So you know that's that's good company to be in. So yes. So here's the important question: What is a Muppet? Hmm. Yes, a, a, a Muppet is a puppet. Um, but particularly it's what Jim Henson called his puppets. I don't know if it's specifically the way that the puppeteering was done or if it was just, you know, he wanted them to be a race in and of themselves, but Muppets, you know, move past the, the main things we call the Muppets. All of the characters in Sesame street are Muppets. Jim Henson created them. Um, all of the, uh, characters in Emma daughter's jug band Christmas are Muppets. All of the puppeteer work in star Wars all Muppets. It's all Jim Henson. Um, or at least Jim Henson and ILM working closely together. Um, so, so this is a, you know, when you start just thinking from that level, it already starts reaching far. The dark crystal is a Jim Henson creation, um, that just had a, a reboot show, a, a prequel on, um, Netflix that was incredible. Um, and it was made dark crystal scarred me as a child. Yeah. So, oh, you terrifying. gotta watch, the, you gotta watch the new show. It's equally as scarring. It's insane. Does that, does that mean that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are Muppets? <laughs> they are. They are. Right. Now, now he also called, I forget what he called his, his, um, cause the Muppets were puppeteered by a human, but then those suited Muppets 
if you've ever seen things like Fraggle Rock, they had the the people that lived above ground in Fraggle Rock that weren't human. They were like these troll-like creatures. Yep. I forget the names off the top of my head, but they were also a person in a suit that worked kind of more like like hyper extended versions of the big bird puppets. So there was still puppeteering to be done. You know, an arm was still a false arm and one arm was doing something, you know, to make stuff move around, but they were a lot more advanced. So I'm not necessarily sure if those fall under the Muppet guys, but they're in the universe, you know? I was hoping you were going to give the Simpsons answer. Oh, I mean, I could have. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll, I, was like, I'll, I was like, is he, he, he going to do the Simpsons answer? answer? I could, Simpsons, sorry. Well, there's a whole joke where they make fun of the Muppets, and Bart goes, Dad, what's a Muppet? And Homer goes, eh, not quite a Mupp, not quite a puppet. Yeah, ah, <laughs> sorry. I have heard sorry. that. I'm in serious mode. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. You're allowed to be in serious mode. Um, So we usually have a, a handful of uh, fountain direction kind of questions loose structure of loose structure we are free to tangent off of them but our first one which you kind of already touched on which is how you got into this thing you mentioned uh muppet babies and you even mentioned having memories from before you could speak but you really think that's like i would would ask more when do you think you were really cognizant of the muppets being something important to you three I remember it. I remember it um, like the back of my hand. I remember the episode. Um, I remember sitting and I remember because my parents were potty training me. I remember the potty being there in the room because I would sit on it and watch it on the old Magnavox TV <laughs> that we had in the room. Oh, and, the um, radiation king. And yeah, so yeah. And the episode of Muppet Babies, I don't know the name of the episode because, you know, it was just a through line of images right at that moment in time. But the thing I loved the most about the reboot is they redid a bit from this episode, which I'll get into. Um, but there, what would happen on the Muppet Babies, if you've never seen it, is these were kids in a um, preschool, not a preschool, a daycare. And the daycare had this nanny who you never saw. You just saw her legs and she'd come in. And the kids were left to their own devices, kind of similar to like a Rugrats kind of structure. Um, mm-hmm. And they would go on adventures in their mind that would take them outside of the nursery, even though they were just playing in their brains. And one of the things they would do is they'd get input from the TV that would help feed into their imagery. And they were watching um, Raiders of the Lost Ark on the TV. And so when they went into a bit, the whole thing with the rolling um, uh, stone, the giant um, rock chasing Kermit down, and he's dressed like Indiana Jones. And Mm -hmm. on the pilot episode of the new Muppet Babies reboot, they did that gag again. And that made me so happy <laughs> at like 35 years old to see that. I do think it was, I, I, didn't, I didn't watch Muppet Babies growing up, but it's funny that you mentioned Rugrats like, because now my brain goes to all the, the movie references I didn't mm-hmm. get that were Rugrats in the same kind of setup, though. So, so, so my dad showed us, and the reason I say this branches out into the geekier territories is at the time my dad had VHS taped off of HBO and everything of. He had 180 tapes when I was like four years old and they were, I, I always, I always mentioned my father. He he's, he wasn't like an enthusiast of, of film and like into film. Like he wouldn't talk about film, but he loved movies, you know, and there's a distinction of the difference there, right? Is he just, he, he'd be the kind of guy that would probably be really into all the Michael Bay movies these days, right? He just went to the movies. He enjoyed the experience. So he had all these movies and he understood they were popular but just, you know, they made him happy, 
Like that was about it. So we'd watch Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom and Romancing the Stone and The Last Starfighter and all this stuff. But when I was three or four years old, you know, my attention span was not there. But as I grew older, I realized Muppet Babies referenced all this stuff. And so it was already there in my brain. Do you know what I mean? And that that's yeah. why it's a that's why it's a pillar to me. Just starting from that one little show that was only on for a few years, right? How how long was Mother Babies on? You said um, three. Yeah, my, my notes kind of jumped a little weird here. Um, so I apologize for that. Yeah, I think it was on from eighty four to eighty eight. That's a pretty good run, if I'm not mistaken. All right, well, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us? I would imagine since mentioned at the beginning, right, that this is like Muppets as a whole. I know yes. you've got a lot of like behind the scenes kind of Muppets information. So, yep. uh, but for now, I would I would ask you give us kind of a um, a play by play of your relationship with Muppets related media as you age to the point where you are now. Considering Muppets has so many different kind of shows and movies and stuff, yeah, no, I'm curious to hear the like falling in, falling out, what you paid attention to, what you didn't, stuff like that. Yeah, no, of course. So, so this is, this is a, that's a perfect way to do it. So like I said, I had this Muppet Babies TV show, but there were Muppet things existing before and after that. So then you get to the movies and the, the movies that were on constant rotation in my house were the Great Muppet Caper and the Muppets Take Manhattan. Now, the Great Muppet Caper is exactly what it sounds like if you haven't seen it. They, they would take the Muppets and stick them into different types of movies. That's why... Um, a lot of people say, wouldn't it be great now that Disney owns the Muppets if they did like Muppet Avengers, you know, or Muppet Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> or something. Because yeah, that's Muppet Treasure Island. So right. I feel like no, but, tra- but I would agreed. totally watch Muppet uh, Avengers. Agreed. Because, and that's what Henson was doing with the Muppets way back in the 80s. So the great Muppet caper is they stuck him in a classic like Hollywood, like 1960s, it's a mad, 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 mad world kind of caper film. And um, they actually did the same thing with Muppets Most Wanted recently. And it ends up being the least of the new movies too, even though it's a lot of fun, just because by design, the genre is kind of lacking, is what it really ends up. But then they did the Muppets Take Manhattan, where the Muppets did like this hyper real thing where the opening credit sequence tells you it's a movie, you know, and all this stuff. And like, there's all this fourth wall breaking, like an Austin Powers movie. And those two movies just broke me because the Muppets take Manhattan has two really cool things in it. It has one, some heartbreaking, like empathetic, like characters having to say goodbye to each other sequences that really hit hard. It has Kermit and Miss Piggy getting married which is like a cannon building thing. It's like the whole point of this was that they were chasing each other through all the things. And then they get married at the end of the damn movie and Big Bird and all the Sesame Street characters are there. I remember that. That was crazy. And it has a flashback sequence to them remembering being kids that's a flashback to the nursery where they were in daycare, which ended up being what created Muppet Babies. So having seen Muppet Babies first, all these things that were prequels, sequels, not knowing, (laughs) it all just gelled together and made sense to me. Then, so I had never seen the Muppet movie or the Muppet show until I was a lot older. I was probably in my early teens when I saw those because the Muppet movie, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but the Muppet movie is a lot more in line with Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It's definitely childish, but it's definitely not made for kids. That's the one I I watched most as a kid. Yeah, I haven't seen the Muppet movie, but isn't, I always heard that was the thing with the Muppet show was that it was... While it was on the surface very easy to be like, oh, it seems like a kid show. That in content, it was a lot more not a kid no, show. It, it, it was, was like a variety it was, show. It, it, it was, was laughing. 70s. 
it was laughing for children. And in that it had a ton of adult innuendo and over the heads of kids jokes that would probably fit fine in like an illumination film today. But at the time, because it was being written by people that were clever and actually good at what they were doing and multi-layered, mm. you look back on it and you go, holy shit, like that's, that hits hard. Yeah, they wanted you know? the broad spectrum. I mean, it was a variety hours. They kind of, it was a little, you had the whole family gathered around and you had to hit all the markets. Kids show up for, you know, Kermit and mom and dad show up for the celebrity guests. And then, so coming from that, you know, Sesame Street was a very constant thing in my house. And Kermit the Frog is a character on Sesame Street. So that was the connection there. You know, it's like, all right, in your brain as a kid, you don't need anyone to tell you, oh, this is also Jim Henson. You just know that's a Muppet. And so all of these other things are Muppets. You know, it, it just made complete sense. Um, then, you know, I, I, I want to talk about it in the context of what it meant to me after, after just talking about the media. But Jim Henson passes in 1990. And then, you know, leaving out the effect that that had on me to start, that's where a uh, line of demarcation happens with the Muppets. But also, it's 1990. I'm six. I'm growing up. You know, maybe you're watching less childish things. That's um, when... Uh, you know, Jim Henson had done like amazing stories and things like that, that were, you know, not Muppets, but had the puppets and were a lot more, you know, like sci-fi. He did the Dark Crystal and um, Labyrinth, which I had seen the Dark Crystal when I was really young. Bob and I just sucked up everything fantasy we could find. You know, we had uh, bootleg copies of the Black Cauldron, you know, <laughs> like st stuff like that. Just anything we could find because there wasn't a lot of it. Even though people were making a lot of it, you couldn't find a lot of it, especially on video. Um, I'd say bootlegs, but the only way you could find the Black Cauldron, <laughs> right? And then, and then also during that time, and think about this way: there was a children's show on HBO. Think about this way: so you had to get a subscription to HBO so your kids could watch this show, and that was Fraggle Rock. And Fraggle Rock is like Fraggle Rock is the Lord of the Rings to the Muppets, The Hobbit. You know yeah, what I mean? There's where, some where, deep world building there. Where where the Muppets is very loose and very um jokey. It, the Fraggle Rock is like there's a mythos here. You could tell Henson learned a lot from the adaptation of the Dark Crystal and injected that into the world he built with Fraggle Rock. It had some of the most expensive sets ever on television at the time. Because again, this is an all puppet cast, right? This is insane to think about someone doing something like this. Um and so we had that. So also, um, to tie into that, before Henson passed away, um, there was also uh, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. I know no. of it. So Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, it, it's gotten some bad press over the years because the characters are definitely supposed to be a specific type of ethnicity. Oh no! When, when you watch it, it's nothing too too bad. Like it's not like you know a white guy playing an Asian guy in Breakfast at Tiffany's or anything like that. But you definitely there's some dated like go watch the Country Bear Jamboree at Disney World and not get a little bit of Iggy like oh this is a little bit racist like <laughs> like to it. Um, it's it, it, funny because I've been watching some old shows recently and nothing comes to mind. But like that's one of those things that. It, it, it gets hard sometimes to figure out where the, the line is. And I'm not saying I'm qualified to say what the line is, Correct. but it's like, what is the place this is coming from? Is this coming from a cynical place or is this coming from a, just a, we didn't know better place. I, I don't know. It's hard. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Like the nineties collectively needs to apologize every yes. day to the transgender community. Yes. Like oh, yeah. that is, you go back and watch some of that stuff. And it's like, Oh, 
I'm the sorry. Only, I, I apologize to, on behalf of the decade. All all you need to do, you you can to jump into that tangent for one second. Take the last twenty minutes of Ace Ventura: Pet Detective. Oof. Take everyone oh. involved in the film. Show that sequence and just have them all say sorry. Like that 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 would take care yeah. of a lot of the nineties. I, <laughs> I still love most of that movie too. And then that, oh, that ending. The movie is brilliant. It's so <laughs> goddamn funny. And then it's like, wow. Like, and I get it. Like during that time, we had sleepaway camp. We had um uh the crying game. You know, there were there were seriously taken movies that were using that third act, and that's what they were making fun of. But still, we also like, thought that was the height of comedy. I mean, yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's it's get just, back to Happy Muppets. So, yeah, so Muppets, Muppets, Muppets so, never did anything bad. So, so what I want you to do is, as homework, anyone listening to this that's never seen Emmett Otter, if you want to see the height of Jim Henson's technical ability, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas is on another level. These are entire, like, think. Remember what Mr. Rogers was doing with the kingdom of make-believe? And it's like, wow, this is a big, sprawling place. Henson, but but done on the cheap. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas is like entire warehouse-sized sets with like a boat going down a stream of real water with a puppet sitting in the boat fishing. And you sit there and go, how in the living hell did they pull that off? Um, one of my favorite things, thinking back from the original Muppet show, the Muppet show would inject these things where Henson and his guys would wink at people that were, you know, into the technical aspects of what they were doing, even though the regular audience doesn't care. These are puppets. They're being funny, right? One of my favorite things is Kermit the Frog is sitting there on a table and he's got a glass of water in front of him and Kermit picks up the glass of water and drinks it. A puppet puts the glass of water back down and the water is no longer in the glass. Kermit looks at the screen and just says, think about it. And then they move on to the next thing. <laughs> That's it. Right. Wonderful. Like this yeah. is the kind of stuff this guy, he, him and his, him and Frank Oz and all these other people, they were just geniuses. Yeah. Um, and, and Emma daughter's drug band Christmas. It's all on display. It's no longer puppets in the real world. It's like uh, similar to what they did with Muppet treasure Island and um, the Muppet Christmas Carol, which we'll get into. They built an entire world for Muppets to live in instead of interfacing them with our real world, which, which I'll get to in a minute. There's also this weird thing from the eighties, but I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but it, I think only had Kermit in it because he introduced it. But other than that, it was Henson doing an entirely new thing with the Muppets making new Muppet characters that no one had ever heard of. And this thing is called the Christmas toy. Have you guys heard of this? I don't sound familiar. So this is bonkers. So what the Christmas toy is, is it, was a 1986 special made for ABC that came around Christmas time. And I either saw it in real time when it aired that year, or my parents recorded it and showed it to us later. This thing was scarring because it did the toy (laughs) thing. This is toy story 10 years before toy story existed. Okay. Or whatever. This is a toy that was the kid's favorite toy for Christmas now wakes up in the playroom and hears that it's Christmas Eve and can't believe that the kid would get a new toy that's going to take his place. So he goes on an adventure downstairs to find out what the new toy is. And it's like this evil, like, um, She-Ra villain, like, goddess (laughs) that, like, is just totally, like, evil. And, um, 
they have to learn to like get along and it's just it's incredible and it's so different and very dark and really well done and i just it's one of those things that just has stuck with me forever and i'm glad i did this research because i i wouldn't have thought of it um then there's another thing that um also stuck with me and this was basically jim henson did um shortly before he died in 1987 he did like his um his crisis on infinite earths, uh, you know, his, um, infinity war. He did a thing called the Muppet family Christmas where the Muppets have to go to, um, God, what was it? Was it Miss Piggy's house? I forget exactly. Uh, Fozzie bear's mother. They go to surprise her for Christmas and end up getting snowed in. And somehow every character Jim Henson had ever created culminated on this house. The Sesame is vaguely familiar. The Sesame Street gang was there. At one point, Rizzo the rat goes through a mouse hole and ends up in Fraggle Rock. So they're able to do a a part with the Fraggles. Um, Doc from Fraggle Rock shows up. Do you know what I mean? He he he's like the guy mechanic they call the helping to fix a car or whatever. It it was incredible and such a crazy deep dive. And then right before Jim Henson passing away, I got to see the opening year of Muppet Vision 3D at Disney World. (laughs) <laughs> which is the last Muppet thing Jim Henson did. Um, and it's so goddamn cool. I don't have you guys seen it? No. It's the first 3D thing I've ever seen in my life. It was Disney's answer to Terminator 2 3, a uh, Terminator 3D that they were doing. Disney had it like a year before because they found out Universal was working on a 3D ride with Cameron. And so they wanted to do their own thing. And you basically go into the Muppet theater and hilarity ensues. It, it, it's mm-hmm. like you're Statler and Waldorf are like in the stands with you, you know, and like it, it, it's really damn cool. It, it's a really well done thing. And I was eight years old and I got to see this damn thing. Right. So it's like before I even knew how important that was. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And then so things took a turn. Um, Jim Henson passes away um, and his son takes over. His son, Frank Oz, and everyone are still there. And we get two of, in my opinion, the best Muppet movies, even though they're looked at as kind of lesser in the grand scheme of things. We get Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island. How brilliant is it? Yeah. (laughs) How brilliant to think that these are two Muppet movies. We've got Michael Caine as Scrooge in Muppet Christmas Carol, just playing it completely deadpan. Like Leslie Nielsening it, right? Just like showing up. And then Tim fucking Curry in Muppet Treasure Island. He's having a blast. He's like, having watched that. So much Curry is always a good time. <laughs> yeah, but in that one, like he even, you know, references it because I watched it recently and his big musical numbers, like it's my only musical numbers. Don't step on my lines. It's right. like this sidebar. Because I always love bringing this up. If you're watching an animation and it's a character who sounds like they might be doing a Tim Curry impersonation, it's probably just Tim Curry. Remember oh, that. it's always Tim Curry. <laughs> the guy voices so many characters. Anyway. No, no. So, so I mean, it, there's not much more that can be said. The songs, again, the Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island, this was, even though it hadn't been fully solidified, Disney already had their claws from the late 80s into the Muppets. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just the Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island are very Disneyfied Muppets. But they're great. They have a ton of songs. They're definitely more aimed at children. And um, the puppetry is some of the best it's ever been. Brian Henson inherited all of his father's talent. The guy the guy did great voices. He was a great puppeteer, or still is. Um, and then there's Muppets from Space. 
a lot of people yeah. a lot of people love this. I have a friend, my friend Tim loves everything the Muppets. You can't make a Muppet thing that he doesn't like. And Muppets from Space never did it for me. And and let, there's two reasons. One, the movie is just full of pop culture references. Yeah. And I don't have a problem with that. The Muppets always were full of pop culture references. This is full of lowest common denominator it feels pop very culture. Dated. It's like it'd be the like example of let's say like Disney came out with um like a brand new Pixar movie and the Pixar movie had, you know, like a Marvel reference in it. It's like, all right, you know, that's that's funny. You know, that's funny, and that's not lowest common denominator. We get it. Maybe they'll, you know, they have Robert Downey Jr. show up and do a voice of a character, make it be kind of funny. Let's say then they make that same movie, but there's Jersey Shore references in it. Do you know it's what I mean? also incredibly yeah. rushed. Like yeah. The whole Muppets, thing feels like it's just for example, through, look at the end. Muppets from Space has Hulk Hogan in it, but he's not Hulk Hogan. He's Hollywood Hulk Hogan from the New World Order. That's the kind of movie this is. Yeah, it does have like I remember this. Like this is the period of time when I was a kid watching Muppets. Like I remember the hype coming out for Muppet Treasure Island and Christmas Travel, getting excited for this because they had the great question of what is Gonzo. Yes, and, and that, like, that's, that's a great hook. That's a really but, solid but hook. That's the movie's biggest fault is that yeah okay so the movie goes through and Gonzo you know has the realization that it doesn't matter who he is his friends are who is important but like they've done that better on the new Muppet Babies show. Like yeah. they did the, you know, they've, they've done that gag again and it just felt really rushed. It did bring us the prawn. I love the freaking prawn. Yeah, Pepe. Pepe. I love him. So I'm glad he's stuck around because Pepe is the best thing about Muppets from space. Then we have the Muppets, the move, the Jason Siegel Muppet movie, which he pitched to Disney. Hold up, hold up, hold up. We got to talk what? about the Muppet show of the nineties. Oh, I'm going to. Okay, I was making sure, like, we gotta talk about I'm that sticking, one. That I'm, sticking with, I'm sticking with the movies right now. I'm, I'm right. gonna get... No, sorry. Okay. So, I just want to get through the movies, because there's a through line here. So let me get to the Muppets. Jason Siegel goes to Disney with a script and called it the greatest Muppet movie ever made. Wasn't and I... Passion Project? Like, what was that? Siegel. It was his passion project. And I guarantee you, probably all that script had in it was the lyrics to Man or a Muppet, and, and I would have given him all the money in the world to make that freaking movie, too. But <laughs> but I love this movie. This movie is a perfect mix of all the stuff I said made Muppets from Space not good, but fleshed out by someone who's actually funny and knows what they're doing, but a great mix of what made the old Muppet movies good. I love 80s Robot. 80s Robot is one of the funniest new throwaway Muppet creations ever. Um the will travel by map gag is such a great lift of like riffing on the Muppets and Steven Spielberg. When they say, how are we going to get to France in a car? We're in the United States. Oh, we'll travel by map. <laughs> it's just such a good joke. <laughs> um, there's just so many great things in it. And I love it to death. I love that the flight of the Concords guys wrote the songs for it. <laughs> um, I think that's just such a perfect mix with the Muppets. The movie is definitely weird and has some bits that didn't get fully fleshed out but i love I it because like, it's what was that i was just i feel like if a muppet movie isn't at least a little weird and uh it, something's wrong like that's, i think that's kind of at least for me part of the appeal is everything's just a little off kilter so, right and, uh, yeah, jack black yeah. performance i oh. don't really remember that much Oh, the Jack Black performance is great. You guys are butchering a classic when they do the barbershop quartet of Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Hold on. Moonvog has something to add here. Yeah. Oh, 
uh, with the new Muppet one, like it also had like some wonderful references to the original movie. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know this because I hadn't seen the original yet, but my roommate Denim had, and this particular scene kind of bummed him out. But they drive past a used car lot. Oh yeah! And the monster Muppet goes running. I was like, I want to help save the thing too. Oh, not again! Yep. <laughs> Which through the first movie, he spends the whole movie chasing them. Poor Sweetums. Them. Poor Sweetums. Oh. And, and, I got to that, and he just went, oh, no. <laughs> that, that and the first song with Kermit, where he walks down the hallway of all the paintings and has that, like, longing, like, what happened to all my friends bit, including, like, I think one of them's a picture of Jim Henson, and he just kind of holds oh, on it for a yeah. minute, and it's just like, what the fuck? Then there's Muppets Most Wanted, which does the great Muppet caper thing, and so it's a lesser movie because it's just the Muppets being silly. It's also very childish, but I still love it to death. I like I don't know it if... better of the two. I think it has a yeah. more. It is a, it is a clear A to B goal. And and that's and that's why I think they both kind of need to exist because they both represent the two of the best things you can do with the Muppets. You know, one of them is very self-referential and adultish, and the other one is just through line. This is going to be a fun romp. Have a good day. It's got a great um, Ty Burrell performance. I love him and Sam oh, Eagle. God, Ty Burrell and Sam Eagle were perfect to put together. And the little teeny tiny, um, what were they driving? A Fiat? <laughs> no, it was a little. It was, it was a riff on the Pink Panther. Yes, which is probably why I love it because I watched that that movie series with my grandfather. He loves the Pink Panther, so that's why why that one. Worked. Also, this is the Pink Panther. It has my favorite new like post Jim Henson Muppet joke in it. That could only work, and it's one of those things. It should be. A, it should be a low bar joke, but they go to the gulag with with Tina Fey, in, you know, being a, a Russian villain for some reason, and <laughs> she's telling them like they all say good night to each other. So it's good night, Kermit. Good night, Miss Piggy. And one of the people in the thing is played by Danny Trejo, but they never <laughs> yep. give his character a name. So yeah, good night, Danny Trejo. <laughs> it's like yes. <laughs> That made me laugh. That's, that's a kind of like there's a, it has some really good jokes in it because I recently went back and rewatched all the Muppet stuff. Oh, so good! And it's like, oh, this, this is great. I can't wait to show this to my daughter because there's Side- some real classic stuff in there. Sidebar: While I, while it's on my brain, if uh, if I ever get uh, like a D and D game going with with you, Chris, you need to look into. There's a homebrew class called the Muppet Born. Oh, God. oh yes, he is a Muppet. So yes. <laughs> So, um, then you said the TV shows. So Muppets Tonight was the version of the Muppet Show in the '90s, and it was great. And no one watched it. I watched it, and I loved it. That was like my solid. And like I had a great introduction to Muppets. I had the you know Treasure Island and uh, Christmas Carol, and then this. And for me, this was all Muppets ever existed. And then for like because I didn't see the Muppets movies that, that from the '80s till later, so that was just okay. This is just stuff they did afterwards because kids continuity doesn't matter. Right, no, exactly, and that's what I think is great about the Muppets, is you can show this to a kid, and it doesn't matter if you show them one of the new ones or the old ones, they, even though they've done different stuff with them, they've kept that same evergreen through line to the characters. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to fully get all the references to enjoy what's going on. No, Kermit is consistent, Miss Piggy's consistent, the core characters are consistent, the only thing that changes are some of the side characters. I mean, right. just, just like two weeks ago, for the first time ever, I saw that uh, that scene of uh, 
of Miss Piggy yelling at Mark Hamill in the oh, Star God, yes. So just maybe laugh. So yeah, dude, it's Muppet it, Star Wars. That needs to it, happen. It, wouldn't Muppet Star Wars be great? I, I they've threatened that before, and I would watch that in a heartbeat. I just well, the want the threatened. <laughs> I well, any, the anything because because it could go so wrong. That's why I say threatened. Yeah, I think it's great that Star Wars is one of those examples. I mean, that, that's why they did the the Family Guy version, the Robot Chicken version. It's like it's so easy to do. Anyway, sorry, off tangent. <laughs> But we need the joke of Yoda and uh, Kermit, you know, just kind of looking at each other. Don't say anything, because if you know, you know. But everyone yep. else is like, just, just leave it at that. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen Thumb Wars? I remember Thumb Wars, yes. that's about yes, it. So you just made me think of the Yoda. They zoom in on Yoda, and he just looks at the screen. I am a puppet? <laughs> and Lucy goes, I'm not following, sir. The hand beneath the floor doth control me. <laughs> I don't get it. Arm connects to hand. Hand goes into puppet. Hand manipulates. Mouth. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm I'm not following. <laughs> it's just so random. Um, okay, but so so Muppets Tonight. That was the '90s yes. show. And that. Muppets Tonight was just as good as the Muppet Show, and it just it, it one must have been so expensive to produce. Muppets um, are always expensive. I think that's why we don't see as much of them as we'd like. And they then are was, exorbitantly expensive. And then and then there was the Muppets Show that came more recently. That was just The Office that I really liked. I loved it, and Wait, I love that people that, got mad about it. Are you talking about the one that was basically Thirty Rock? Because it was I, yeah, Thirty Rock. Sorry, yeah, I, I watched that. I'm going to say right now, I watched Muppets when I was young, but I don't really remember it that well. So then I've been waiting for you to bring this up just so I could say this. I watched that show because Woundvog actually got me to watch it. Uh, I loved it, and I was like, it's just 30 Rock, but with Muppets. And I only was lukewarm on 30 Rock to begin with, so this is amazing. But one thing that made me realize that I think is really neat, I don't know when it happened, but at some point in my childhood, I must have developed, like, Miss Piggy is important to me. And Miss Piggy yes. and Kermit's relationship is important to me. So when that show started off with, oh, yeah, they got divorced, I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah, so exactly. how hurt I felt, you know? <laughs> no, that's why it made that show great was, you know, it was willing to take risks and shake things up and it pissed everybody off. Like, this isn't the Muppets I know. This is weird. There's adult humor. I don't like it. And well, like, well, no, I this is perfect. Well, I thought what was great about it is shows like 30 Rock in the Office are very much um, influenced by the Muppet show. The, the the gag of the original Muppet show was a very meta, very fourth wall breaking thing. And any show that's tried to do that since it, it makes me so happy that someone pitched the why don't we flip the coin around and have the Muppets do that again? Like have the Muppets take their format and then use it to influence <laughs> them. And it worked so perfectly. And again, no one watched it. Um, another thing before I get into uh, the Muppet Babies reboot and the upcoming Muppet show, which I just found out about yesterday that Disney Plus is going to have. Um, I want to mention really quick that when Disney first acquired the Muppets, there was this long stream of short YouTube videos they made that is some of the best Muppet stuff I've ever seen. They did a couple of Swedish chef cooking shows that were incredible. One of them, one of them was Swedish chef makes popcorn shrimp. And 
eat the puppety corn de shrimpies and everything <laughs> just goes to shit they did a couple of muppet labs ones that were like you know youtube how-to videos gone horribly wrong with bunsen and beaker and they did animal and the electric mayhem performing bohemian rhapsody oh that's awesome that is you know I'm really glad that maybe you could call it a nostalgia or a retro thing, but it seems like in the last five years, there's been a, a resurgence of what I'm going to call um, classical shorts. I yes. remember noticing it with, uh, with Disney's newest, like their, their stream of uh, Mickey Mouse shorts that are ridiculously hilarious, but now Looney Tunes is doing a new kind of old kind of Looney Tunes yes. show. And now you're telling me about this Muppets thing, which sounds like it's in the same kind of wheelhouse. And just it's very fascinating to me. So. Oh, yeah. Find the Muppets YouTube channel. The stuff was brilliant. It, it was it was so good. I think I've um, seen one of the Swedish chef ones. I'm not and sure. it was a it was a precursor to I think they were using it to advertise the uh, new Muppets show. Like that was like the purpose of them was to advertise it. But they they were just great. And then oh, there's right. this Mupp- there's this Muppet Babies reboot, which I, I, I don't know. Ulrich, have you seen it? You have kids. I've heard about it, but here's the thing. I am like one of the only people that does not like Muppet Babies. Okay. So I'm not I'm not into the baby versions of characters I know. Gotcha. This new never worked for me even as a kid. What? Is the new one animated? It is. It's it's um it's Disney has it, Okay, the only I'm reason a, I'm assuming the only reason I knew that. What? Oh sorry, I was gonna say the only reason I knew that is because I watched uh I'm a fan of um artist or uh, animated versus cartoonists series yes. on youtube and uh, they had one of these storyboard artists uh Daphne something for for muppet babies as a frequent person on there and when she when she first said that i was like there's a new muppet baby show <laughs> so yeah so it's it's digital because everything is is digital animation now but it's very um they kept the look of the original show they they definitely spent a lot of time trying to lift that um, the voices aren't quite perfect. Um, the guy they got to do Gonzo is, is perfect. Miss Piggy, like all the recent iterations of Miss Piggy doesn't sound quite right. Um, they added a new character, which was uh, annoying at the beginning, but then they slowly rolled in the classic ones too. Like they brought Rolf in later and they brought Skeeter and Scooter and later and Rizzo. They just kept it small and kind of added to it as it went. Um, but my daughter loves it and I love it because they went back to all those great references there. The first three episodes, the first one does Raiders of the Lost Ark. The second one does Ferris Bueller's day off. Mm. They go to a, they go to the museum. They go to in Ferris Bueller's day off and do the museum sequence complete with the same, you know, them all looking at the same picture and all that. And I think Fozzie's wearing the same Jersey Cameron's wearing in the scene. It just, I know who watching, their target audience is. yeah, it, it just, it made me so happy um, to see that kind of stuff. And, and again, you know, this is Disney. These are the people that we throw under the bus all the time for taking stuff and saturating it down. But to see, that they're still making something that looks like the people behind the wheels are getting to be creative. Well, the thing that's, I don't know what the right word for this is. I'm going to go with scary because I don't have a better word. The thing that's scary about Disney, I think is that they managed to do that while also being very, very good at it. (laughs) Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, so the Muppet babies reboot, you know, I'd, I'd recommend checking it out if you haven't, just to see if you can check it off the list of, hey, I don't like this. Because, again, it is very childish. It does fall into the, you know, the, the trap of more childish things. But 
I, I love anything that understands the characters. Like when they bring Rolf in, they do it very tastefully because Rolf is Jim Henson's um, uh, imprint character. You know, we talk about like what character in Kevin Smith movies or Kevin Smith. Rolf is is Henson. He hides behind his art. He's always behind a piano. And and Henson always said Rolf was very personal to him and didn't really go into any depth as to why that was. But whenever you see Rolf handled post Henson, he's always much more minor and always used in very careful ways because they want to make sure they have respect for that character. And it's it's weird that that's the one, you know, because because Miss Piggy, Vozzy and all those other ones, a lot of those, they're Frank Oz. Even and today they're not Frank Oz doing the voice anymore, but he created them. But, you know, Kermit and Rolf, you know, they're they're Henson, you know, and and so it's it's just weird to see that stuff. And so have you guys heard of Muppets now? I just saw it announced. The other day, and I have no idea what it is. If it's a new Muppet show or what it, they're planning. So I don't. No one knows too many details. But what they said it is is it's a situational comedy show, fully puppeteered, and the puppeteers are doing improv. Hmm. Which could either which could either be holy shit, this is the best thing ever made, or it could be all oh, this was a mistake. But By either way, way, I give them credit for being experimental on it. Right. Side, yeah. Side note, just because uh, I think this is really interesting. Um, I was recently watching a documentary, kind of a short, like video that just calls up documentary on YouTube about Gene Wilder. Oh and, yeah. And and basically, Gene Wilder stated that the key to improv, and he talks about doing this with Richard Pryor, is that when a person says something funny, you don't try to come up with something funny in response. You just react naturally. That if you're trying to continuously say funny things, that's the death of of an improv scene. So I'm really curious, like what improv artists they're gonna have for something like this. But because uh, the only I'm trying to think of like improv shows that aren't whose line that uh, that I like that are like solid improv, you know. But well, the I, I, I heard I heard the people from Mystery Science Theater on the new one, the puppeteers talking. And they had said how the the scenes with the movie have to be scripted because, you know, you're doing a, a blue screen thing with a puppet silhouette and all of that has to be very carefully um, created. But they said the mid bits, the, the little inter, in, inter, inter scene bits, they get to do some improv there. And they said it's encouraged to do it there because the whole point is to see if the host can get through it without breaking down because he has to react to puppets. So <laughs> I, I could see that working really well, particularly if on this Muppet show, they had guests like yeah. having a human to bounce off of. I mean, look well, at the old Muppet show. Stuff. To, yeah. So you're getting back to the old Muppet show. And that just makes me sad because like, that makes me with Robin Williams, like Robin Williams. Oh, he was been so perfect. good. Like you go back and watch the uh, Sesame street bloopers that he's on. That, that was, by the way, side note, if uh, if it, I only just like maybe like three months ago saw Robin Williams very first uh, recorded comedy special, I'd seen a bunch of his other ones before, but I only just saw his very first one recently. And if like me, you are a fan of Robin Williams and had not or have not seen that, it is insane. <laughs> yes, it is. The I don't man... think I've seen a comedy special that is as frenetically maniacally wonderful as that. So, sorry, side recommendation. No, oh, no, real quick side note. Did you ever hear Robin Williams' explanation for how he did that? 
uh, I've heard him give a little 15-minute improv rant about his his spark of creativity slash insanity, but I'm not sure if that's what you're talking about. Well, well no, his whole... So, 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 again, outside of the fact that the guy was on enough cocaine to kill a horse, <laughs> um, he, he, also, he also was um, uh, bipolar, yeah. and um, he took medication for it, and he found that the way that he was able to be the way he was on stage was just the day he was going to perform, he wouldn't take his meds. That sounds about like him. All right, that, I want to say that side note. That's a very dangerous story. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Do that, especially because he was also on a ton of cocaine. Like yeah. that's <laughs> just I, no, I, I that have a fits personal, him perfectly. Yeah, I'm just I'm one of those people. I have a personal thing with the whole like uh, oh me too artists and meds and but but I love Robin so. No criticism to him. <laughs> but it's just it's it's interesting to hear him be very coy and candid about that. It's just like, yeah, no, that's that's how I that's how I did it. He's <laughs> <It's> like, oh. <laughs> on top of the fact that he's also a genius in in and all those other things. But like that so, was his. Yeah. So uh so slightly back on topic. Yes. Do we know any of the the people in, that was the thing I was trying to get to. Do we know any of the people involved in this Muppets now then? No, I don't think they've announced any of it. I would imagine it's the same people that were in were doing the stuff in the last two Muppet movies, because it was the same crew, the same puppeteers for both. I mean, that should be good news, at the very least. <laughs> I mean, they were fantastic. I I mean there there was nothing but creativity. Um, and it, they, they didn't, they didn't skimp on making the puppet work good in those moments. I, I think I'm a sucker for taking characters that might not have originated in a situational comedy or, or in putting them there. Like there was that Looney Tunes show a few years back. that was basically Looney Tunes characters a la Seinfeld. It was, was so good. It was like my favorite Looney Tunes thing. <laughs> they got. So much mileage out of Daffy Duck on that damn show. Well, for me, it was uh, it was Lola because I was oh. never I was never on board with Lola actually. Like up to that point, it's like okay, I get it, she's the female rabbit, and then that show turned her into something entirely unique and wonderful. So, yes, Kristen. Yes. Is. Oh yeah. Anyway, side note. My point is that um, that so in in Muppets has kind of already done that right because like the, like we said that Muppet show that was basically Thirty Rock was kind of doing the same thing but the whole point of my little build up is I am totally on board conceptually already with just situational comedy Muppets improv so yeah I'm excited <laughs> I'm optim cautiously optimistic that's exactly where I'm at it, it's cautiously optimistic because again I I you know to bring up the last semi-related to the Muppets thing only because it still blows my mind that he did it. Brian Henson has had a falling out with the Henson company. Okay. So we um, are going to talk about this. I was wondering, like, do we want to talk about this I, one? I do want to talk about it real quick, but Brian Henson also, he created an offshoot of the Henson company that is not owned by Disney called, I think Henson after dark or something like that is what he ended up calling it. And he had this passion project that was five years in the making called the happy time murders. Ah. Now, now I, am one of the strange people like my brother and my wife who I don't know if it was just something in the water that day. I've, I've seen the movie twice. I am completely enamored with this stupid little movie. I, I don't it. know. <laughs> I don't know why. Cause it's not a very good movie, but I think that's well, what they were going for. Well, I'm um, say right now, real, real quick that um, I saw your brother's review of it. And, yes. Uh, and he he had a line in there that I think hit the nail on the head really well for me, which is he said the joke is 
Muppets doing dirty things. It's the same joke the whole time, but if you can get on board with that joke, then you can get on board with this movie. And that's kind of how I felt. Like, I didn't get tired of that joke, you know? Exactly. And, and to me, knowing, like, all I had kept in the back of my head the whole time was, this is Brian Henson. Holy shit. This person has voiced and puppeteered Kermit the fucking frog for most of my, you know, post Jim Henson dying life, remembering it. Like, this is somebody basically saying, hey, this is like the characters in Death to Smoochie not doing something homicide. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? This is them saying, we've been behind puppets our whole lives making this stuff for kids. Now, this is what happens at the after party. You know what I mean? This yeah. is the this is the seedy underbelly of what's going on, but it, it's catharsis. It's it's work therapy. Do you know what I mean? And I saw that as like this is what the people with Muppet characters do on their day off. And what really got me was end credits. The end credits show you green screen behind the scenes stuff of all of the insane new technology they use to do the puppet work in this movie because it has incredible puppeteer work in this damn film and you see the faces of you know the guy that does elmo on sesame street and like all these people there in this movie like getting along and high-fiving and laughing it it's kind of like you know only because we've talked about this before as a collective it's kind of like the kevin smith thing where i look at the happy time murders as the you know um yoga hosers of the of the <laughs> of the muppet fitting. community no and i look at it that way because it's like it's very personal to the people and i have such a joy watching these people that i like doing this fun thing that i think i get past the cynicism that comes with oh because you know you get half the crowd saying well meet the feebles did this better which it did meet the feebles has a lot more going on in it than just the one joke but it's peter jackson what the hell do you expect um <laughs> But this to me is just Brian Henson and his friends blowing off steam. And and I enjoyed that. And also, we have a performance from Melissa McCarthy, which again is a person who's hit or miss in that she falls into the Chris Farley problem sometimes where oh, we're gonna yeah. cast we're gonna cast somebody and just make a bunch of fat jokes. And the worst part is those are usually the movies she writes and directs with her husband. I don't quite get how that works because she is a genius. I think she is really goddamn funny and she is really good as the straight man character in this movie. And to be able to play off of puppets for two hours is, is crazy hard to do. And so just as a culmination of where the Muppets went, I think it's hard to talk about them without talking about happy time murders. And I think it being such a pillar for me is why I can take that movie and kind of go, this movie makes me happy, even though it's vile and kind of one note and the joke kind of grows old. I still love the hell out of it. Um, and that, even though it's not great, but I love it, <laughs> you know? All right, well, we've been talking for a while, but I want to get at least two um, questions off. Yes. Uh, one, um, I'd appreciate if you keep it on the shorter and one you can do as long as you want. The, the shorter one, because we've basically already answered this, but in in the maybe a more concise way, what would you say is your reason why you love the Muppets? Yes. Um, my reason I love the Muppets is because there's there's nothing they can't do and nothing they haven't done. And I don't mean that there isn't more that they can do, but I mean that there's there's something for everybody in it. There's there's the humor and the childishness you need as a kid. 
Um, then there's Henson and his guys delving into fantasy and darker stuff with Labyrinth and the Dark Crystal. There's Fraggle Rock for the more fantasy-oriented folk. There's, you know, um, the, the female characters in Miss Piggy and the, and the other ones for, you know, the, the other side of the coin. There's just so much there and so many references that are so universal. And like I said, I think you could take a five-year-old today who's into... Um, whatever they're into right now and insert the Muppets into that. And whether you show them a new thing for the Muppets or an old thing for the Muppets, there's going to be something universal that speaks to them. And I think that like we talked earlier about the, the Fred Rogers correlation is because the whole idea behind it was concocted by someone that just understood how to make a product for parents and their kids to both enjoy at the same time. All right. Well, our our, uh, our last question that we always end on, and this one take as long as you want because this is like the the real meat. Um, what does this pillar say about you? This being your pillar, what does that say about you as a person, in your opinion? Wow, that's a hell of a good question. Um, I'd say that it. Jeez, it it says that I don't that I don't take everything completely seriously. But I like things that are um, that stick around with me. I like things that don't let me down. Um, I like the, I like the things that I'm a fan of and that I'm fond of and the people around me uh, to be loyal and to be there with me. And that's that's what I see from the Muppets. The Muppets, even though it always like a Disney thing, like like a product um, is there to make money. It's it's media. It's there for people to consume and make money off of. Whether I was two years old or whether I was 12 years old, I could always go to Kermit. I could always go to Miss Piggy. Um, and that's why getting back to uh, Jim Henson, who, again, you know, you talk from 1984 to 1990 of my life, six years of my life, I talked about at least 10 to 15 different movies and TV shows that were all touched by this guy. So... And that spread out into Star Wars and into Steven Spielberg and into all these other things that became so important. This is ground zero for my geekdom. That's what it really is. And in 1990, that person who it's not like, you know, how many kids know the guy that's making their product, right? Jim Henson wasn't Fred Rogers in that he wasn't the product. You didn't like watch a Muppet special and see Jim Henson, but Jim Henson because he was so involved was part of the conversation. PBS would have him on shows to talk about the Muppets. Fraggle Rock did behind the scenes specials that were worthy of going on DVDs nowadays, excuse me, with HBO back in the eighties, just to show you what was going on with Fraggle Rock. So I knew this guy, like he was a member of my family. Like I knew him, like I knew Fred Rogers. And again, Fred Rogers outlived him. So me sitting in my mom's Mustang um, she had this white and red Mustang that I think a year later they were, they got um, Hyundai accents. I think my mom and dad got matching Hyundai accents. So oh. how how the mighty fell from, uh, <laughs> um, you know, this is your Econo car because you have kids. Uh, but my mom, my mom had this cool old beat up Mustang. And I remember sitting in it because we'd go to my grandfather's and they would have like a, a driveway car cleaning party because my grandfather was a 
like crazy stickler about cars being clean. And so he would have people just line up, he'd change your oil. You'd and so the kids would get involved and we'd wash the cars. And I was sitting in there and he came out to tell my mom that Jim Henson had died of a heart attack. And I remember my mom turning and like, you know, I'm the youngest kid there at the time. So it's, do you understand what this means? You know, I'm six years old. I hadn't lost anyone near me. And even thinking about it today, that hits me as hard as any family loss I've ever had because it's everything. I think just before this Sesame street had had an actor who played a character named Mr. Hooper, um, who was a TV, uh, sorry, a store owner on Sesame street died the actor. And so they had an episode where he died and the characters mourned and for a kid's show to understand that, that that was important. And then that be a preparation for how to deal with their creator dying. It, it just shakes me to my core. This is, and someone is going to be cynical and say, this is stupid. It's just TV, but it's not this guy. He built us. He, he put us together. He taught us how to, how to, how to, I hate to use the word consume, but he taught us how to be entertained. This, this gentleman didn't just, go and make something that already existed. He created something brand new, a brand new form of entertainment, a brand new way to get ideas into your head, a brand new way to inspire you to be creative. Uh, And you know, to me, this is like, you know, Beatles level type stuff when you talk about it, right. As far as how important to children's television, Jim Henson and the Muppets were. Um, And you can read, there's a book called Street Gang that I've read, and I don't need to go into it in detail because it'll take forever, but you should read it. It's just the story of the creation of Sesame Street. And it's like reading people talking about Fred Rogers. Like, this isn't like an easy story. It's not like they just said, we want to make a kid's show, and they got to make a kid's show. No, no, no. Like, they had to prove to people that they weren't weird and they weren't creeps, you know, and like all this other stuff. And it's just fascinating and you think you know why is this different than everything else that was being made at the time and it's because it has this singular auteur at the top of it that with his group of you know puppeteers and people were all able to create something that didn't exist before and and to me that's evergreen and i i'm glad that someone like disney owns the muppets because I think without now a force like them, the Muppets have turned into such a niche thing that it's proven that like a channel like ABC, just they can't succeed with a Muppet show. That's sad to me, but they can't. So Disney being able to throw it on something like Disney Plus and hopefully have parents refind it and show it to their kids, it's, it's going to last forever now. And to me, that's really important. And that's, that's, and this is a lot more serious than I expected it to be, but I'm very, I'm very passionate and shaken still thinking about what 1990 meant when I heard that, you know, the person that created everything I loved just didn't exist anymore. Well, well, here's the thing, Chris, Uh, in my, in my estimations, anyway, one of the reasons why, one reason why we like doing Pillars of Geekdom is because it allows uh, our guests to talk about something they like to talk about and they want to talk about. And what that lends itself to, in my experience, one of my favorite kind of online contents, one of my favorite types of online content, is listening to someone talk about something they truly love. <laughs> and, and hearing you go off into these serious things and, and talk about Muppets with 
I use this word very specifically, reverence is, mm. is uh, awesome. And I don't mean awesome in the like, awesome, dude. I mean awesome as in the original meaning of the word, as in it, I am full of awe, and it was wonderful to hear it. Does that make sense? No. No, I, I agree. I appreciate that. All right. Well, uh, unless I feel like it's a really great, your, your whole thing is a really great place to kind of, to, to pivot then, unless we, anyone has any concluding thoughts. <laughs> no, I'm good. All right. Well then, uh, in that case, Chris, we give the floor to you and, uh, plug whatever you want to plug. Well, I want to plug the geeks with shields podcast. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, they come on my show a lot and talk about Warhammer. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, I, I, I do. I want to plug, you know, for people listening to this that are not patrons of you guys, I highly recommend you get on over there and get in with these Horus Rising books, the Horus Heresy series with us right now. I'm obsessed. It's turning me into a to a rabid fan very quickly <laughs> of this stuff. I'm passing it around to anyone that I can convince to read them. Um, so please do. But no, also, I, I just want to say thank you guys for having me on. You know, Search The Chippa Made This on Google. You'll find everything that I do. Patreon.com slash The Chippa. Um, but seriously, uh, I think this Pillars of Geekdom, everything you guys do, I think is awesome. And you get great guests. This Pillars of Geekdom thing, I, I've had this in my head since you mentioned it to me the first time. And it's so damn cathartic to just dump that Muppet stuff out of my brain. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you feel that way. And we always love having you. And this has been especially amazing. But again, I always love doing Pillars of Geekdom because I love hearing people talk about their passions. So awesome. All, All right. Well, then that, that moves us into uh, suggestions of the week. And or because I feel like I've stepped over you verbally several times. Why don't you start us off? <laughs> All right. I'll start off with something simple. Uh, Long term fans of the podcast and people that know me know that I am not an anime person really at all. Just not my thing. Doesn't keep you all from trying though. Like, just, just I tell you, you're when you watch Cowboy Bebop, and you're gonna love it. So anyway, uh, I'm not saying there's not outliers. I'm just still saying it's not my genre. But I love a little series called Dragon Ball Z Abridged, and I kind of feel like the abridged fad has come and gone. Like this is a big thing in the early 2000s. And for those of you who don't know, they basically took animes. Uh, recut them, edited over them, and worked in jokes. And Dragon Ball Z Abridged was, I think, one of the most successful, the biggest ones. Well, probably because Dragon Ball Z Abridged was made by Team Four Star, which was a collaboration between a bunch of other people who were abridgers separately, then came together to... They were like this, uh, a super group of abridgers. And then, yeah, Dragon Ball Z Abridged came out of that. And that one and Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged, I think, were the two that went on the longest. So Yeah. Anyways, Dragon Ball Z Bridge is basically the whole Dragon Ball Z saga up to the end of the Cell Saga. And Ooh. it's every episode, every joke, but it's been re it's very mystery science theater in that they've cut jokes, they've had in jokes, they have references. And to me, it is Dragon Ball. Like, this is where I know my Dragon Ball stuff from. And it makes it really awkward if I see like a clip of Dragon Ball going, that's not Goku's voice. That's not at all what he sounds like. And then I oh, wait, no, I just know Dragon Ball Z abridged. Uh, it's I'll, where... I'll paint a giant target on my back when I say this, but I went back about three years ago and rewatched Dragon Ball Z up through the Cell Saga, original Dragon Ball Z. And I personally don't feel it holds up very well. And I actually like Dragon Ball Z abridged better as a telling of that story. 
<laughs> so I like it because it is very streamlined. It is hilarious. It's very well done. And I know there was a big uproar when they announced that they weren't going to do anything past the Cell Saga. And they explained, like, they burned themselves out. They, they did, they couldn't do it anymore. And I 100% respect that because when you look at how much work went into it and you watch, like, the first season to the last season and how much has changed, you can totally get, like, no, you guys did a monumental work. It is hilarious. It is where I get, you know, the muffin joke, the space stuff joke. So many great jokes that people that know me, you know, I know I make these jokes, the Mr. Popo jokes. Uh, I feel like if you listen to us, you know what DBZ abridged is. But for those of you who don't, this is my gift to you. Okay, uh, my suggestion of the week is a little channel I found while, uh, you know, because I've been getting into Warhammer minis. And I've been trying to learn the rules of the game. I've played uh, uh, like four kill team matches at this point, which is like a smaller version of Warhammer. And in order to kind of learn the rules, I found this channel called Midwinter Minis. I haven't watched a whole lot of their stuff yet, so this is a half suggestion. I will say, if anything, go watch their episode with of, uh, of Orcs versus Necrons with uh, uh, Penny, who apparently is the main guy's wife or something. I don't know, but she's hilarious. It's a like a 30-minute video that will teach you the basics of how a Warhammer game functions while also being really funny so there midwinter minis chris nice i dbz abridged is such a wonderful thing (laughs) and i'm it actually helped me finish off a lot of my dragon ball consumption because i used to watch it religiously when i was a kid and uh just um fell out of favor there's a lot of it to watch and it's nice to have a nice concise funny version so, so my thing is Blood Quantum. Have either of you guys heard of Blood Quantum? Oh yeah, I, I am very aware of this. This is I on my radar. Potentially season three Geeks. Oh, material. It, this better it? this better be on Geeks Who Haunt. So Axel hasn't heard of this. So, so I'll give a quick. I don't want to give away too much, especially because you guys haven't seen it. But I'll first say it's on Shutter. It's worth a free subscription or a paid subscription to Shutter just to see this movie. Um, this thing. Look up the poster. The, the poster is glorious in and of itself. Um, but what Blood Quantum is, is it's a zombie movie. And you'll go, oh, grown zombie movie. Yes. But check out the premise of this zombie movie and how this zombie movie was made. It is staffed and acted and made almost entirely by First Nations folk living in a reservation in Canada. And it takes place in said reservation. And all of these people have been in, you know, small indie film there, but have never gotten a big break. So you see these guys that are obviously very well-trained actors that have been busting their ass. And the idea of this movie is, what if a zombie outbreak happened around one of these, um, one of these reservations in the 80s? And for some reason, only the people that live in this reservation from this tribe are immune. And... All hell fucking breaks loose. It is when I first heard that pitch, I thought, okay, this could be really good if it follows like the George Romero social commentary thing of being a zombie movie first and having the commentary there as well, but also being a good horror movie. And that's what it does. And then in its second half, 
because it has two kind of waves about it. It just goes full freaking Sam Raimi Evil Dead with the gore and ramps it up to a million. And it's just <laughs> insane. The, the whole second half of this movie is just, yeah, you know, we really wanted to make a zombie movie. So that's what we did. And I just love it. it it's really well done. It's badass. It is very, very, very intensely R-rated. Um, and it's it's just really well done. The gore effects are great. The cinematography is gorgeous. It, it was filmed almost entirely at night, and the lighting and everything is just... It, it blew me away. Like, my brother was all, like, rah, rah, rah about this thing, and, you know, he, he gets very enthusiastic, and I, I love, you know, his enthusiasm, but sometimes, you know, especially in this genre, I get a little bit, okay, he, he liked it because it was awesome, but, you know... But this one, it really, it really delivered, and I, I highly recommend checking it out. All right, sounds cathartic at the very least. <laughs> oh, it's awesome! It's so awesome. All right, well then, uh, I guess one more time, we want to thank you for coming on. <laughs> Absolutely, dude. All right, and I'll thank Wound Bob for also being part of it. Good to be here. And <laughs> why don't you take us into our outro? Well, we'd like to thank you all for listening and remind you to like, share, subscribe, rate, review, do whatever it is the algorithm demands of you. Because if you don't do that, then we will stop existing. And then you'll have nowhere to hear people rant about Muppets for an hour. Quality content. (laughs) And whatever platform you're currently listening to this on, thank you for doing that. That's pretty awesome. Uh, The list I have in front of me that we are currently on is SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and Pocket Cast. Did we drop iHeartRadio? This is an old script. Oh, well, also iHeartRadio then, because <laughs> I, I just know that from saying this a number of times. Um, and if there's some other platform you think we should be on, and we're clods for not being on it, tell us what it is, and we can fix that. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable. <laughs>